You're listening to the preaching podcast from Regency Baptist Church, located in Loomis, California, in the greater Sacramento region. We pray that you'll be blessed by this Bible-based message. And it's also our desire that you'll be helped with this message in your personal walk with Jesus and strengthened in your commitment to serve Him daily. Well, let's stand if you found it there, if you're able to, Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll read verse number 15 together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 15. The Bible says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Let me read that passage together, if you will, verses 15 and 16. This only works if you have a King James Bible, so I hope that you do tonight. If you haven't found out in our church, we use the King James here, and I hope that you have that as well. Verse 15, here we go. Ready? Begin. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Our fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd speak to us. God, I pray that we would learn. Uh, Lord, this principle or this mindset, if you will, in Scripture, Father, help it to be a help tonight. I pray that you'd be with the message and the messenger alike. Lord, help us this evening, I pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Recently, I was driving in a neighborhood, and of course, in the streets here in our area, you have cars, and you have cyclists, and you have pedestrians. And there's these things called crosswalks that people use to cross the street. And sometimes we use them, and sometimes we just look for a great time to cross the street. But as I was driving, there was an individual who was walking on the sidewalk and just decided that it was the time that they decided to cross the street without taking any notice of looking who was coming their way. And they just turned right in front of my vehicle. Thank the Lord, nothing had happened. But I thought about one of those most basic responsibilities that we're taught as young people and that you teach your young people. Before you walk the street, you're supposed to look both ways. My title tonight is this, Look Both Ways. Look Both Ways. We went with our young people in our school uh, to a field trip here in Sacramento, a place called Safetyville. Any of y'all ever been to Safetyville before? And it's a small little thing for kids to teach them basic safety skills, and one of them is crossing the street. And then we went to this building and learned about a few other things. They learned how to dial 911 and uh, a fake phone and you know, how, just, just basic things that kids need to know. But I can't tell you many times that we practice crossing the street with the kids. And they said, first you need to look to the left, and then you need to look to the right, and then you need to look to the left again, and then you need to cross. And then we did something else and crossed another street. Well, really why that's taught is that could be a life or death decision to make sure that I'm careful and watching where I'm going to walk so that I'm not in danger but also, so I get to where I need to go. The Bible says here in verse 15, if you look there at Ephesians chapter 5, see then that you walk, and there's a word that we don't use very often, but I like this word. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. Circumspectly means with exactness or with caution. In other words, there, there's kind of two sides to that word, circumspectly. Just like you think, you need to look both ways before you cross the street because first of all, you need to get to where you need to go. You're gonna cross the street because there's somewhere on the other side of the street that you need to get to. 
but also you're going to look to be cautious so that you don't get hurt as you cross that you do so safely. So God is using Paul to write to the church at Ephesus in this letter, and he says, as you walk through this life, he says, I want you to be mindful and to be wise in the walk that you conduct in your life to walk circumspectly. You could say this, it's to walk with a godly cause and to walk with great caution. Let me say it this way. Uh, I love positive people. Do you? I think naturally it's enjoyable to be around people that are positive. Uh, nobody likes complainers. Nobody likes folks that are negative. And I think if we're honest, all of us can agree that sometimes we are those people. We are a little negative. We are a little grouchy. We might need to pray a little extra more, some, some mornings and say, Lord, I'm just... I'm just not doing good right now, and I, I need your help to get over whatever this mood is that I'm in. But we enjoy being around people that, that have a positive uh, feel and, and spirit around themselves. Can I say, we need more people like that, with the faith and hope and joy of the Lord in their life. I like people who can see good in certain situations. As Christians, I like people who can see good in people. Hey, I know that they've made mistakes, and I know that they've fallen, praise the Lord, they're not dead. They still have a chance to get right with God, and they have an opportunity to come back to the Lord. Hey, let's have hope. Let's have uh, joy in the Lord, and let's, let, let's try to see the good in situations. And as much as I like people in life that are positive, as much as I want to be somebody that's positive, we can also take that too far to where we can just be so overly positive that we're also naive. And life is good, and everybody's well-meaning and everybody's nice, and nobody has false in, or wrong agendas or you know, false pretense, and we understand that it's good to be positive, but it's also good to be cautious, isn't it? We also teach our kids to be careful with strangers. Hey, just because they're nice doesn't mean that you need to let your guard down. So God's saying here, I want you to walk through this life with this mindset to have a great cause but also to have great caution. In other words, don't be so scared that there's a devil in the world and there are evil people in the world and there's wickedness in the world that you don't walk the walk that I created you to walk, but at the same time that you're mindful that there is a real enemy, that there is real wickedness and real evil in our society. So with that mindset, looking both ways, we, we can't be overly positive in life and fall into traps but we also can't be overly cautious and never move forward. So let me ask you as we kind of get into this, which trap are you more prone to fall into? Are you somebody who you would say, sometimes I'm a little bit naive, and I don't, I don't see areas where there might be compromise or there might be false teaching. Maybe you've said something or you've quoted somebody or you've uh, maybe watched somebody and say, hey, this is a great person to listen to or this is a great thing to read. And somebody open your eyes to say, well, wait a second, what are they teaching, and who are they, and what's their agenda, and what's, what's their background? And you said, oh, I, I didn't notice that. Some people, you might say, that, that fits you. I just, I just see the good in people, and it's sometimes to a fault. Where I might fall into a trap, and I might fall into false doctrine, or I might fall into temptation, maybe you would be somebody that would say, I'm so overly cautious that I don't do anything for the Lord. So scared about people saying no that I never go soul winning. Scared about what God's going to do with my finances so I never give. 
everything is driven by fear instead of moving forward with the Lord. So let me ask you tonight, what trap are you more prone to fall into? He says, I want you to walk in this way circumspectly. Look what he says, not as fools, but as wise. So God says, this is a wise way to conduct yourself in this life. To walk to say, there's a cause that I need to fulfill. God has caused me to do something and I need to get busy and serve the Lord. Hey, we need to go soul winning and we need to go reach the people in this world and in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then caution says, okay, let's pair people two by two. Let's not send a little five-year-old girl down a street by herself because that would be wise, correct? So there's two sides to this equation. Look both ways. How are we to walk circumspectly in this life? A few thoughts tonight. Number one, look for contamination. Look for contamination. Can I say this? That good mixed with sin creates pollution. Or good mixed with garbage becomes contamination. You know, Satan is very smart. And we don't give him enough credit as he deserves. Because there's a lot of things in our world that even as Christians fall to because there's a little bit of good in it, but it's mixed with a lot of false teaching. It's mixed with a lot of nonsense. You say, oh, but they're good people. But it might be a religious group that doesn't even believe in salvation by grace through faith. Can I just say that we need to consider the whole equation as we walk and make decisions in this life. We have many a churches and many a preachers and many a styles of of churches in our day that say good things. And people, I can't tell you how many people have said, hey, I've gone to this mega church in our area, or I've gone to this such and such religion, and it might even be a religion that doesn't teach salvation by grace through faith. And they say, you know, but there's a lot of good there. They're good people. They're nice people. Can I say this, that going out soul winning, Mormons might be some of the nicest people that I've met out soul winning. Religious people of false religions that I would strongly disagree with, not on areas of even the music we hold or, or things that we hold as standards, but I'm talking about foundational doctrines like salvation, the deity of Christ, who Jesus is. But we mask it with, well, they're good people. Or we'll follow people online or listen to people on YouTube and say, but, but they're good people when they're using the wrong Bible, they don't really worship the same Jesus and a lot of the ways that they live in practice. Here's the thing. We get very naive when we live that way. Again, I'm all for positivity. Seeing the good, having hope, having the joy of the Lord. But there's two sides of the street you need to look down. We need to look down one and say, we have a great cause. We need to restore people. We need to learn about the Lord. We need to grow in Christ. We need to reach people with the gospel. But on the other side, we need to be cautious because... Well, the Bible is pretty straight and narrow on, what, on who Jesus is, what salvation is, what the Bible says, that this is the case with modern worship music in our society. A lot of Christians fall into this trap that just because it's labeled worship or it's labeled with Jesus on it, that it must be okay. But can I say that we've been trapped by that. A lot of Christians have been trapped through the area of music. And why get off on music? Because music is such an incredibly powerful tool. And we understand this, that music is primarily driven to young people, is it not? You think about the music of your generation, the music that you might remember, 
It's from your childhood. It's from your teens or your 20s and maybe your 30s. Hey, Satan knows what he's doing with the power of music. The importance about music is this, is that music has a pull on our heart. Music is heart language, if we could put it that way. You could go into a restaurant and you could hear instrumental music that has no words to it. And you can call it whatever you want, but it conveys a message by the atmosphere, by the tone, by the way that it's played, by, by, by a certain ambiance that it brings. And you can label it whatever you want, but it is what it is. I'm just saying this, that we need to be very cautious as Christians to say, just because somebody says they love Jesus, or just because something says it's worship or Jesus or whatever, doesn't mean that it's right. I'm also not, not going to hear to say that everything's wrong. And I thank the Lord for those who sing with heart and sing with fervor. Uh, of course, I love the fact growing up under Pastor Nichols, and he's taught so much on music, and he can come up here and teach so much more on music than I could ever teach. But I thank the Lord that we can sing right, but also sing with heart. Friend, don't get into this trap where we get so fundamental in our music that we sing like robots. Sing with heart. Sing with a, a passion for the Lord. But we ought to be mindful as circumspectly walking in this life. Can I say this? That every little sin holds the hand with a greater sin. So God gives this analogy in Galatians 5, 9, and you've probably heard it before, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. In other words, those of you who cook or bake know that it just takes one wrong measurement or one wrong ingredient to ruin a recipe. You either double something, or you put in half of something, or you forget one thing, or you added one wrong thing, and that can ruin an entire dish. And you might be able to scarf it down still, but you would say, you know what, there's something in that that's just not right. And God says, it's not just picking apart, well, hey, I know that it's not right, but there's, there's a little bit of good in this. God says, well, well, be careful, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, what that doesn't mean is this, that the only person you can be a friend with is Jesus Christ. Because you have sinned and I have sinned. And so, you know, Brother Steve, you have sinned in your life, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, so I can't be friends with you. You know, I don't think that's what God is saying. But we use wisdom in our Christian life. I say that to Brother Steve because I, I, I appreciate his example of faithfulness in our church. Um, a, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Think of Hebrews 12.1. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Can I ask you, who are you, your influences in life? Who are the people that you listen to? Who is it that you get your wisdom from? I think we live in a society, people don't get their wisdom from church anymore. They might come to church. They don't get wisdom from spiritual leaders anymore. They don't get wisdom from those that invest into their life. No, they'll get wisdom from somebody they don't know on the internet because that's easier than asking somebody face-to-face -face that cares about you and that prays for you. Like a child to their parent or somebody to a spiritual leader or friend, some example they look up to in life. And I'm so thankful that in a church, it doesn't always have to be pastor. There are many of you that have helped and counseled and encouraged other Christians in this church. That's the great thing about the body of Christ is that we can all be a help to one another in some vein. Titus 2. What does God say? The older women teaching the younger women. I'm, I'm not going to sit in my office and have, you know, okay, I'm going to counsel all the, the, the ladies and the young girls. And that, The older women teach the younger women. And the older men teach the younger men. 
That's how the Christian life is supposed to operate. We invest into those behind us, but it's a lot easier to look on the internet. It's a lot easier to listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video and to, to get our wisdom from somebody that knows nothing about our life. I, I've had, I've had so, uh, uh, certain circumstances where I've called somebody and asked for counsel, and I so appreciate somebody's honesty when they say, you know what, I don't know you very well, and so this counsel is very general. But I'm sure that the people that know you could counsel you better in this area because they have a relationship with you. That's what a pastor said to me one time many years ago. But that stuck with me. And I thought, I am wise in my life to get wisdom from the people who actually know me and have invested into me and have prayed for me and have watched me. That's why you teenagers need to listen when your parents or your spiritual leaders say, hey, you need to watch out. Who do you think you are? No, they're watching you. And they see things. And they know you. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Who are your influences? Can I say your influences will affect you and the ones looking up to you? The Bible speaks about newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So who is the devil really going to come after? He's going to come after young Christians. And it's young Christians that might have the naive mentality of just everybody who loves the Lord and everybody who claims the name of Christ and everybody who says Jesus, well, well all of it must be good. Because we're not training and we're not teaching the way that we ought to. Number two, we ought to look for contamination. But also number two, we need to look for a counterfeit. I believe this, that Satan is very smart and that he mixes the good with the bad. And we justify the bad because there's a little bit of good in it. And we say, well, it's, it's not all bad because they talk about Jesus or they talk about the Lord, even though it's in the wrong way in their lifestyle or whatever it may be. But then also, there's a counterfeit. Can I help you understand this? That Satan always has a substitute to what the Lord can offer. He always has a substitute. And we could say this, it's second rate or it's second best. But if I can help you understand this, that there's a big, a big gap between first and second when it comes to God's way and the devil's way. He always has a counterfeit. I believe this, that as we go through this life, that Satan will try to find any open door to get into your life. He'll find the temptation. He'll find your weakness. He'll find the area of your life where he can get you to slip. Look at what he did with David, and look what he did with Solomon. Look what he did with Samson. Look what he did with Saul. Throughout the word of God, we see good men. We see good women fall because of one area that they gave over to the devil. One area where they said, you know what, I'm good in these areas, and I'm going I'm to let that one slide. I'm going to let that one slip. So here's the question, where's your open door? What's that area that the Bible says we lay aside those sins, which does so easily beset us? We say, well, I got all this taken care of. I'm not going to worry about that one little thing. You know, it's in the model prayer that Jesus commands us to pray this way and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Man, I hope and pray that every born-again child of God gets on their knees on a daily basis. We need to pray for a lot of things. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, one of the things he said was this, pray for deliverance from temptation. Because it's coming. And I'd like to think that everybody in the world has the best intentions. I'd like to think that everything that looks good is good. I'd like to think that positivity is in everything of life, but I know there's a real enemy out there and there's a real devil who goes about seeking 
whom he may devour. So God says this, walk circumspectly. Don't be so scared that you don't do anything for God, but also be wise as you go about your purpose. How do we know what is right and what is wrong? Can I, can I tell you this, that every decision we make, and you know this, it ought to be based by the word of God. It ought to be determined by commands and principles and examples through scripture. Can, can I give you several, you could write these down if you'd like, principles uh, that we ought to make these decisions by. First of all, the principle of expediency. Paul said, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. Uh, that's to bring to a destination. Now, th- th- there might be a thing where there's not a clear Bible command on something, and there's not a clear area where God says, you can do this, or you can't do this, but Paul says, I don't have to do it just because I can do it. There were dietary laws that Paul said, you know what, I can, I can eat all those things, but I'm trying to win this brother to the cause of Christ. So just because I can do that doesn't mean necessarily that I should. How about number two, the principle of enslavement? Paul said, I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, I'm not going to give myself to something in this life that has a power over me that I have to be a part of it or I have to do it or I, I can't give it up. Truth be told, we should be willing to give anything up for the Lord if he asks of it. Number three, the principle of example. The principle of example, Paul speaks about himself not being a stumbling block to those that are weak, knowing that people are looking up to me. And that's true with every single Christian in this room. You might think, well, I don't have a title at church. I don't, you know, I'm not a leader in in any regard. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Every single Christian, you have people looking up to you, and it's probably people that you don't even know. It might be some young person. It might be a teenager. It might be folks who just go, hey, where's so-and-so? They used to come to church. And you're an encouragement by your faithfulness or your harm to the cause of Christ because we have to have that awkward conversation that, well, they don't come anymore or they rarely come, or they leave right away, or they used to be involved, but now they're not, and people are looking up to you. You think life's just about you. But we have a next generation that's watching us. How about the principle of edification? He says, not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. What does edify mean? To build up. Let me get a sidetrack here and just say this. I I love that our young people are in sports in our school. Because I think there is a profit to that. Discipline, submission to authority. There's so many areas to that. And some of you who played sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who didn't, you might say, huh? But that's why we push kids, even in our school that aren't athletic, maybe wouldn't pick up a basketball on their own to do it, because it teaches you so many life skills. You go work under a boss one day, and it teaches you, I don't want to do this, but I need to do it. The principle of edification, there's things in life that we can do that, can I just say, that absolutely can waste our time. You know, we have fun with ball with our kids in their early years, but for most of us, you get to a certain age and that's a thing of the past. Because we understand it's, it's not a necessity. It's not something I have to do. I have to work. I have to go to church. I have to take care of my family. So there's usually a time for that where that stops to be a a normal thing for most people in their life. Because you come to a point where you say, it's not building me up anymore. In fact, it could hurt my family because I don't need to play ball every single night with my buddies. I have a family I need to take care of. The principle of edification. How about this? The principle of exaltation. Here's the 
really quick question, does it bring honor and glory to God? Whatsoever therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. The principle of evangelism. Paul said, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. In other words, he said, in every area of life, I'm looking to make decisions that give me more opportunity to preach the gospel. What are ways that I can do more so that the gospel can go out in our world, in our society? So look for the counterfeit. Look where ways in your life that you might have an open door in a decision you make where Satan is tempting you to give in to what is second rate, to what is second best, so that you'll miss living by God's principles. Lastly, number three, look for the conclusion. Look for the conclusion. I heard a preacher say this, every young person needs somebody to usher them into adulthood. Every young person. We live in a society that has that backwards. It's kids, you decide if you want to go to church. And you decide how you want to live your life. And you decide what you want to do, eight-year-old. <laughs> you, you decide the decisions that you want to make. Oh, it's what they want. So, you know, we want them to, to find themselves. We use a lot of this mumbo-jumbo. It doesn't mean a whole lot, but it does this. It teaches your kids to live by their flesh. And now we have people that are raised up that, that just want to do what they want to do because it's fun for them. And they haven't considered, where's this going to lead me in 10 years? And where am I going to be if I continue down this road a few decades into my life? It's just, it's just a job. Well, how's that job going to affect your future? I'm just saying this. We ought to keep the end in view as we walk in this life. Hey, live today. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, let's use the opportunities today that God has given us. But let's also consider this decision. How is it going to affect my future? How's it going to affect my future family, my church attendance, my commitment to the gospel? Can I say the temptation of sin can ruin your future? Sin, it distracts us, it weighs us down, it ensnares us, it diverts us. You read through the book of James, and in James, the second part of, or the middle part of chapter one, we have that passage on the facts of sin that when lust conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's the enemy that we're up against. And that's what he wants to do with all these little doors that we're willing to leave open because, oh, it's okay. We don't need to make a big deal about it. It's all right. We don't need to be so old-fashioned or so fundamental. God commands us here at the end of verse 15 to not walk as fools but as wise. I love the Bible because even in 2024, it's still so applicable to our day. It still gives us every tool that we need to make decisions in this life. And I can't point you to a Bible passage on every decision you make, but God gives us tools in our arsenal to live by commands, principles, examples, and also to live by the Spirit of God for those areas that aren't spelled out so clearly in Scripture. God gives us everything we need by His Spirit, by His Word, by spiritual counselors, by the Word of God as it's preached, to say this, walk with wisdom. Walk with wisdom. Walk circumspectly. We'd say for somebody that crosses the street without looking, hey, they're, they're a fool. They're not smart. They're not thinking clearly. But then the person who looks both ways, or those that are diligent, 
with errors of their life, we'd say they live with wisdom. And God commands us as we walk to live, not as fools, but as wisdom. And look at verse 16. Here's the, here's the, the heart, if you will. Here's the passion behind the command. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, we ought to walk circumspectly, but we ought to take it seriously because the end is at hand. Redeeming the time. Hey, we don't have time to waste. We don't have years to waste. Maybe there's a teenager here tonight that says, you know what, I'm going to have my fun for a couple of years at high school. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to do it my own way. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what pastor says. I don't care what others say. I'm just going to live it up. You are wasting your God-given time. God says, redeem the time. Use the time. Serve with every day that we have. And as we do it, walk circumspectly. But friend, don't be foolish and not see that we are living in evil days. Evil days. Where I'd love to say that everybody has great intentions. I'd love to say everything is perfect. But it's not. And I'm thankful for those in my life who cared, cared enough about me to say, hey, I want to warn you. That decision is going to lead nowhere good. That friendship or that thing, that hobby or whatever it might be, and to say, I want to warn you. God says, I want, to, I want to give you some wisdom in this. Live with a godly cause. But as you walk, have, have great caution. I just fear so much that we, that we walk in our day and age and everything's just, it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. My Bible says this, that we ought to make sin exceedingly sinful. In other words, we can't really make too big of a deal about it. Sin is sin. It ruins lives. It wrecks families. It cripples churches. It harms the cause of Christ. But God says here, I've given you a, a godly wisdom that you can use to conduct your life. I think it's the Lord's way of saying this. Hey, friend, you can do it right. You can make it. Hey, a happy home, you can have it. A godly marriage, you can have it. Kids that love the Lord and want to serve him, you can have it. But you got to live by God's wisdom. You got to live by the principles, the commands, the examples. All of what I've given to you, don't be a fool in this life, but listen to the wisdom that's been imparted to you. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from Regency Baptist Church. We pray that God has used this message to stir your heart for the gospel's sake. To get information about our ministry or to get in contact with us, please visit us at regencybaptistchurch.org. If you were encouraged by this Bible message, share it with a friend, contact us, or tune in next time to the Regency Baptist Church Preaching Podcast.